I also want to thank God for those who are joining us on LiveGate Outreach TV. That's our YouTube channel. And those listening to this message after now by podcasts, either on uh, iOS or Android platforms. I want to say God bless you and thank you for sending in your testimonies from time to time. We are truly blessed by them. We, uh, we started on a series on um, creative prosperity principles in uh, the last week. And uh, it is a nine-part series and it will take us to the end of the year. As a church with a mission, uh, with a vision objective to raise with God and for God a people of purity, power, purpose, and prosperity, we concentrate on these cardinal objectives quite a lot as the Lord has been leading us in the existence of the mission. And um, this particular series is on the vision objective of a people of prosperity. We have defined severally that prosperity as far as God is concerned, is the total prosperity, the prosperity of a spirit man, the soul, and the body. God desires total. If you look at everything, God desires us to be sanctified totally. He desires us to manifest power totally. That is the power of all powers. He desires us to walk in the purpose totally. His intention for us is to fulfill purpose completely achieving all that God has called us to do. And when we come to prosperity, his desire is that we are a prospered people totally, spirit, soul, and body. So when we talk about creative prosperity, we are talking about engaging with God in the achievement of all. Last week, we read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Everybody in this church should be able to quote it now. It said, and God is able to make all grace. Somebody say, all grace abound towards you, say abound towards you, so that you, say it with me, so that you, having a sufficiency in all things, will be able to abound to every good work. So it is all about all grace abounding towards you to have all sufficiency, everything you need, spirit, soul, and body in order to be able to abound into every good work. And so we we define creative prosperity as the achievement of all sufficiency through the creative power of God. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 18 is what I want us to read today to start this off. Let's read together. It says, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It is he who gives you power to get wealth. It is he who gives you power to prosper. Some translations say. He said that you will remember the Lord your God. You will not forget him. What was the covenant? Right from Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, the Bible says he said to the first man, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion replenish the earth. God's intention for man is to able to implement his agenda here on earth. But he is the one who gives us the power to do just that. And the wealth that we talk about is not just in monetary terms. It is, like I've said over and over again, it is about having all sufficiency in every aspect of life. And so God's creative power is undeniable. The scriptures tell us right from Genesis that his power was let loose in the time when he began to create the heavens and the earth. 
Almost every Sunday in this church, at least once a month, we read Genesis chapter 1. Very recently, God made me see that if you can understand Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, you have a firm and clear understanding of who God is and his intention for creating this earth all the same and why we are here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, the earth was without form and void. Somebody say chaos. Say chaos. That is what is called chaos, without form and void. It was formless. It was chaotic. It was disorderly. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Darkness was ruling. Everywhere there is darkness, there is always a potential for disorder. Darkness enthrones and, and makes disorder the, the reigning uh, uh, atmosphere of any place. We can see what we're doing now and we can have everything working now because there is light. If everywhere goes dark, it becomes impossible to function. And if I try to move from here in pitch darkness, I would, there will be the possibility that I knock this over, knock that over, bump into you and so on. Then it becomes chaotic. But where there is light, there is always a difference. That's why even though there was darkness, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters in order to bring about the agenda of God. And verse 4, let's read it together. The Bible says, sorry, and verse 4, yes. And God, go back to verse 3. Go back to verse 3. Let me read verse 3 again. Genesis 1-3, thank you. Genesis 1-3. Then God said, okay, let's read. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, that was the enforcement of order over the darkness and the chaos that was prevailing at that point. The Bible says in verse 4 now, let's read verse 4 together. And God saw the light that it was what? God saw the light that it was, somebody say order is good. It was formless, it was without, it was without form, it was with, it, and it was void. And darkness was ruling. But God saw it and God said, let there be light. And God saw that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. So even though chaos was prevailing, and this is how we must see the, the concept of order in the hands of God. It is brought about by God to enforce, to enforce the overthrowing of chaos. God forcefully overthrows chaos every time he speaks a word of light. The word of peace that Jesus spoke when they were crossing in, uh, in Mark chapter 4. And he said, peace be still and it calmed the storm was the word of order that was superimposed over the chaos that was happening at that time. So when we talk about order, we are talking about the accurate arrangement of things. We are talking about the disposition of either people or things in relation to each other in a particular sequence so that there can be a set of objectives that are achieved. The bottom line definition, it is about an accurate arrangement or sequence. Order is necessary in every aspect of life. And so to engage with God's creative power for our prosperity, we must be a people who understand the concept of timing and orderliness. That's why last week we started on the principle of timing. 
We said there are times and seasons. And God, when God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good, the Bible says he began to implement the first day, and then the second day, and then the third day. And if you look at everything God did, it was orderly. The light came. He separated the light from the darkness so that there can be days. So time can be measured. As soon as time was, a now, was now a measurable quantity, he began to put the place in, in place the process of create, creation from line upon line, precept upon precept. So the land was created, the seas and the oceans were created. The animals that should go into the seas were brought in after the seas were created, and the animals that should stay on land were now put on land. And then the man who was to come and manage everything and have dominion over everything was now put in place on the sixth day. And then on the seventh day, as we know, he rested. We know this from Genesis chapter 1. So in every aspect of our lives, we must also understand that the principle that God put in place in Genesis chapter 1 is what he desires that we understand in terms of managing our time, in terms of engaging with his power to change times and seasons, and also in terms of his being a God of order. So while times management and understanding time helps us to engage with changing times and seasons, orderliness helps us to establish godly sequence that God wants for us to make progress from stage to stage. Every aspect of life must be ordered. That is why even when we get born again at salvation, the Bible calls us newborn babes. Order it means that we submit to the milk of the word at that point. And then we submit to the basic doctrines of the word and we get taught. This is why when people get born again and they do not submit to that, you find that no matter how much time passes, even after four years, five years, the fruits of salvation cannot be evident because there was disorder even at the point of salvation. There was no pure engagement with the word of salvation, the word that the Bible calls the, the, the milk of the word, which should help them to understand their new birth, which should help them to understand what prayer is, which should help them to understand how to study, how to grow in the things of God. And then the Bible says, as they go in time, they become a people who handle strong meat. That's not my theme today, but I'm just giving you an example of how we can see that even in salvation, there has to be order. And so we find that in, in, in our walk with God, there has to be order in how we engage with God to grow by him. So chaos and disorderliness are the devil's tools to achieve his mission of destruction. The Bible says he has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The very one singular thing he uses is to create chaos. The reason many marriages end up being destroyed is because he makes it chaotic first. He introduces chaos. Now, chaos doesn't have to mean that people are raising their voices against themselves. He just brings disagreement. The moment there's disagreement, there's chaos. He brings disunity. The moment there's disunity, there's chaos. Any kind of thing, he brings strange doctrines. And the moment that he brings the strange doctrines into a, 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 a group of believers and those who call on the name of the Lord, there's potential for chaos. And once there is chaos, there's potential for destruction. Check the entire scriptures and go through history. Every one mission of the enemy to bring destruction has always rolled on the back of chaotic dispositions. This is why we must, like Paul, 
follow the example he gave to us when he sent Titus to Crete. It was very important. Those of you who are listening to this by podcast, we read Titus chapter 1 from verse 1 to 13 in our Bible reading earlier. I'm just going to quote a few verses from it. This was a time when Paul wrote to this great, Titus was one of Paul's very dependent uh, um, proteges, just like Timothy. And he wrote to him and he said, I'm hearing reports about chaos in Crete. And there are a lot of people who have become disorderly. Now I am leaving you, I left you there purposefully to create order. Look at that. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He said, for this, read it with me, it's on your screen. Say what? For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. And do what? Appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Appoint elders. Remember what Jethro said to Moses? He said, appoint elders. The position, when there is disorder in a group of people or in a place, there has to be a system in place that will make the enforcement of order. And it has to be hierarchical. He said, the things that I have taught you, he said to Timothy, the things I have taught you, commit to faithful men and women who will also be able to teach others. Because the way to overcome chaos and disorder is to put a system of managing order effectively. He said, I left you in Crete that you should take charge, set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city and as I've commanded you. As we read earlier, we don't have time to read it again. From verse 6, he begins to say, this is the, this is the uh, uh, characteristic of the people you will take. They should be people who have one wife, which means they should be people who can manage their own homes. He said they should be people who are not given to wine, which means that they will be a people who can be dependable at all times. If, if an elder is drunk half of the day, if you meet him when he's drunk, he's of no use to you, <laughs> no matter his anointing. So you can't rely on such a person. That's why I say he must not be a wine bibler. Or Bibla, whatever that word is. (laughs) You cannot be. He said he must be somebody who is not given to wine. He must not be somebody who is given to filthy locker. Because people will collect money for things. If they put money in his hand and he vanishes with it. So he gave them all those conditions. He said you cannot take those people. He said because, look at what he said. He said there must be people, go straight to verse 9. He said there must be people who are holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Such elders who will be bringing order in this place must be people who who are holding fast the faithful word just as they have been taught. Say that he may be able by what? Sound doctrine. Both to what? Exalt and convict those who contradict. After verse 9, he begins to talk about those who were contradicting. He said, but this is the qualification to bring order you must create quality. You must establish and enthrone the reign of quality, of standard. This is why leadership is key in any context of life whatsoever, especially in the body of Christ. Leadership is key. People think that leadership in a church setting only has to do with the pastor. Of course, the pastor has a significant degree of responsibility in leadership. And to be quite frank, a church cannot grow beyond the capacity of any pastor wherever they are. So there's no negotiating that. However, 
the people who also work with the pastor and work in the leadership structure of that church must also understand their responsibility. That they can hamper, they can hamper the growth if they don't take responsibility. And that's why Paul said to Titus, he said, look, get those people so that they will hold fast the faithful word as they have been taught. And they may be able by sound doctrine. They may understand doctrine and also will be able to exhort and convict those who are contradicting. Look at what was happening in verse 10. He said, for there are many insubordinate but idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Those who felt they were already a people who, you know, knew it all because they are circumcised. They are of the Jewish trade. They, they, they felt that they had everything that was called religiosity. Everything about religion was in their hands. He said they were becoming unruly. Look at what they said. What, look at what he said in verse 11. He said, whose mouths must be stopped because they subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of what? Dishonest gain. Somebody said disorder. They were disorderly. They were entrusted with the, with the good doctrines of the church, but they began to twist it for disorderly and dishonest gain. Verse 12. He said, one of them, a prophet of their own. <laughs> Maybe he fell out with them, but he said that these Christians are always liars. They are evil beasts. They are lazy and glutens. And Paul said in verse 13, sadly, he said what? Look at that, verse 13. He said, but this testimony is true. Therefore, do what? Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And he began to talk of other things. But the key thing here is that in Crete, there was disorder. Now, that was just a church setting. Anywhere there is disorder, we must understand that what God is expecting of us is to enforce order. And I will quickly tell us a few things. One, some of the advantages of order. I mean, there are so many. We don't have time to go into them today. Excuse me, some of the advantages of order and some of the areas of our lives that we need to seek to continue to enforce order. We've looked at the example of a church setting that is very key, but we must understand that it's not only there. The first thing that is a benefit of order is that order brings beauty. Order brings beauty. Everything that God created, the Bible says, and He saw that it was good. That means it was beautiful. God delights in, the Bible says he is beautiful for what? All situations. Psalm 48 verse 2. We sing that song, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. In the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situations is our Lord, our God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 4. He said, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. If you look at the creativity of God, you, you'll be fascinated about how orderly he is. Orderly has to do with good arrangement of things in a sequence and also sound arrangement of patterns. When you look at a butterfly at times, you'll be amazed. If you look at the two wings of a butterfly and the patterns on them, they are so symmetrical. Despite the fact you can find a few differences here and there, but they are so identical that you would think that it was, it was formed in one and, and, and split into two. If you look at the patterns, I know many of you don't like looking at snakes. I don't like looking at all of them as well. But if you look at the patterns on the, on the skin of a snake, you will be fascinated by this God. Some of the colors are so rich 
and the patterns are so repetitive, even if it's a, if, whether it's a five, a five, a, 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 a one meter long snake or a five meter long snake. It doesn't matter. You see the repetition of the pattern because God loves beauty. God thrives in beauty. If you read the setup of the heavens in Revelation and how the throne of God is surrounded by the angels and the glassy seats and those things and the streets of gold, you will understand that this God is a God of deep creative powers. He is a God of beauty. He is a God who represents creation himself because he is the creator. This is why we must know that everything in life that follows that order of pattern that, that, that follows orderliness also is going to benefit from beauty. People like beautiful things. People rely on beautiful things. Your presentation matters. The way you present yourself, the way you carry yourself in the beauty and the, in the honor of God, you don't go out anyhow. You don't do things anyhow. How many of you know that if you go on a plane and... Um, you know, at times, the pilots, if they've done their checks very well and they're they are happy, they, they come and join the air hostesses to welcome people into the plane. Have you ever been welcomed like that by a pilot? I'm sure you have. Now, look at it this way. Imagine you got into that plane and the guy you saw there that was supposed to be the captain was looking like somebody who is very drunk and his tie was all over the place. In fact, he stood at like that and said, yeah, welcome, to, welcome on board. I'm sure you'll do either of two things. Either you go back or you go and sit down and start praying and say, God, if this is the guy that will take this flight. Now, even if he has been flying for 20 years and he has 40,000, 70,000 miles under his belt, that presentation gives a little bit, that presentation of disorder gives a little bit of concern for anybody he's dealing with. Now, somebody who does not even have as much experience as that captain, maybe he's just been flying one year, but he's well presented and he, he comes to you and he says, welcome on board. Do you know you will not give it even a second thought? You will not even ask for his CV. How many people understand what I'm talking about? So if we're talking about creative principles, creative prosperity principles and how order comes in, some of us must understand the way we present ourselves in certain places in certain times, needs to be re-engineered. We need to think about it. Because there is a way that beauty helps you to have favor. The Bible says when they called Joseph out of the prison, the first thing he did is he shaved his beard. He shaved his beard before he went to Pharaoh. He didn't go to Pharaoh and say, I'm the anointed man here. Tell me your dream with all his beard and everything looking like somebody from the jungle. He shaved his beard and presented himself decently. So we must understand that there is a place of orderliness. If you come to somebody's house and the house is all over the place and you want to do something serious with them, do you know you have second thoughts? No matter who they are, you don't, you always think twice because the whole place is, the, the, whole, the, 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 the whole house is all over the place or their office or their car. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You must be orderly. Create beauty. When, when, the, when your environment needs to be taken care of, you take care of it because you don't know the potential of the opportunity. So always make sure that you do like God and you, you follow the principle of beauty in order. The second thing, which is very important, is that order helps us to be productive. Order helps us to be productive. Somebody say productivity. Friends, productivity is what produces prosperity. Money 
and rewards are attracted to productivity. Nobody pays for you just because they like your face. Nobody pays for you for a service just because you have the right language or whatever. They pay for your service, reward you because you are doing something that is adding value. And it is in the place of living an orderly life that productivity is enhanced. Nobody pays. We, some of us think that by having a qualification automatically gives you a right to certain things. No. A qualification can open a door for you, but what keeps you in that door and keeps you prospering in that door is productivity. They can say they want somebody with a first class in whatever degree, and then you've got it. That's fine. And they check your CV, they interviewed you, that's fine. That gets you through the door. But believe me, if you have nothing to offer and you last in that place for a year, then they have been gracious to you. So it is about what you can offer. If somebody comes with a second class degree and they are producing more with the same person, the same, they were employed the same day with another one who comes with a first class degree and is not producing anything, the guy or lady with the second class degree will shoot quicker. Because the systems of this world and God's order of things rewards productivity. Proverbs 22 verse 29. He says, if you see a man diligent, not a man highly educated, not a man with influence. If you see a man diligent who excels in his work, who is productive in his work, he will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. We must learn how to let order help us to be productive. Plan yourself so that you study and you can be productive in what you do. Friends, productive and prosperous people or nations are people of orderliness. The single most important distinction between what, in my view, underdeveloped, developing, and developed countries have lived in the three. I do business in the three countries and the three types of countries every time for the past 30 years. I can tell you clearly, it has nothing to do with lack of resources. In many cases, the underdeveloped, in quote, countries have more resources than the developing and even developed countries. But the implementation of law and order, orderliness, enforcing orderliness is what makes the difference. When the law makes it impossible for a leader to take resources of the state and translate it into their accounts with impunity, then you can see the system work. But where the laws don't really check that, it talks about it, but it doesn't check it, it doesn't make it happen. And so there is disorder. The president can use money the way he likes. The state governors or ministers can use money the way they like and they spend it on themselves. State resources that should be used to make roads and keep things because there is lack of order in such systems. They are, corruption is rife even though they pay lip service to it. We must understand that if we want to see a productive life, we must give attention to order in every aspect of our lives. So to prosper by God's creative power, by way of orderliness, we need to understand these very four areas, very quickly I'll touch on them, that needs to be evaluated every time. First thing is our personal life, our personal lives. Your personal life must be orderly. You need to understand the place of order in your daily conduct. How do you order your day? How do you order your time? How much time do you spend 
talking and doing things that are not productive? How much time do you spend in places that you don't need? We concentrated a lot on time last week, so I wouldn't talk too much about time management. How much of enforcement of order are you bringing into your marriage? You see, marriage has a formula by God. Very simple. Husband, love your wives. Wives, submit to your own husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Three things that must be in any marriage. Very, very, very simple, but very important. No marriage will ever thrive when the man is trying to do the work of the woman or the woman is trying to do the work of the man. And when I say the work, let's understand. I'm not saying that there are defined activities. Every marriage must understand the basic primary role of a man is to provide leadership, to be visionary and provide leadership under God. That's the basic primary role of a man. The basic primary role of the woman is to help the man providing leadership in that home. The moment we mix that up, it becomes a problem. Praise the Lord. But we must understand that every other thing you can define as it works for you. If you are husband and wife and your wife is better with computers and booking trips and doing those kind of things, more savvy with tech stuff, let her lead. Don't try to lead her. I have a, we have a, a set of cousins that, that live like that. The man hardly knows how to book one flight. <laughs> I've never seen such. Very rare. <laughs> because that's usually the man thing. But his wife is an expert. She can arrange holidays from Casablanca to Canada. <laughs> That's her gift. That's her gift. Now, some men can cook very well. I wish I could, but I can't. That's not my gift. Some men can cook very well. So if they can cook, then they can create order by making sure that they contribute to the family in that regard. What am I trying to say? The roles are defined and should be defined by each marriage. Don't look at somebody else's marriage and say, why are we not doing it the way they are doing it? Why am I the one always driving long distance? If you are the woman gifted to drive long distance, you better drive if you don't want to crash. <laughs> if the man sleeps after every 15 minutes, but you have grace to drive two hours, still a lot, you better be driving long distance. <laughs> there is no rule that says it's the man that must drive long distance. This man you have sleeps every 10, 10 minutes. So <laughs> put him by the side and drive, my dear, drive, drive. <laughs> Hallelujah. Put order in your home. Look at your strengths and see how things will work for you. Then put order. Put order in your environment. Every time you keep, Mike Murdoch used to say things that, do you know that every movement towards order brings pleasure? Every time you clean your house, do you know that you feel like, I don't know about you, there's a sudden kind of freshness that comes. Every time you wash your car in and out, it even sounds as if you have serviced it. Do you know that? A car that you did not touch the engine, you only cleaned it very well, vacuumed it. You switched it back on because of the freshness in the cabin. It seems as if you have just serviced it. But don't deceive yourself. If you need to service, go and service. I'm only just saying that, but there is a way your environment is better. Because of the way I function and so many things I do, I find that I cannot afford to live disorderly. For, for many, many years, my children, if I ask any one of them now to go home and get something for me, I don't need to describe where it will be for up to two minutes. Impossible. The moment I say to them, this is what I need, before I even say where it is, many of them are going for it. Because they know. Dad keeps his wallet here, and that is it. Thank God they don't take it from there, but then that is it. He said they know that dad keeps his keys here, and that is it. 
If I say I need a suit, maybe I'm traveling and I have to leave from here and I need a particular suit. If I say I need a particular suit like this, get it for me. They know where to go because of the way I live. If I call them from anywhere in the world to get something for me, to fill a document and scan it in, it's quick. The time we waste in looking for things is enormous. Many of us spend hours in a week looking for car keys. Don't point to anybody. <laughs> don't look at your wife or your husband. I'm just talking. I don't know you. <laughs> but many of us spend hours looking for car keys. Ladies, your wigs. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let me know good. <laughs> know where you keep your wig. If you, if you have five wigs, please put them in one cabinet. Wig one, wig two. But if you put one downstairs, the other one in the kitchen... And then Sunday we want to go to work. The whole house is running about looking for your wig. And everybody is cooperating. They say, is it this one? They say, no, no, not this one. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> put order. Put them somewhere as a week one, week two, week three. So when you call, when you call from, uh, from wherever you are, you say, eh, can you bring week two? <laughs> it will save time. <laughs> It will save time. <laughs> Hallelujah. It is order. Just plan yourself. You see, many times these things are so basic, but you lose a lot of productive time if you don't attend to them. Praise the Lord. Let us make sure that in our personal life, we are productive. In our ministry and worship, let us be, let us be orderly. Let us have time for prayer, time to study the word, time to fellowship. When it's time for fellowship to gather with God's saints, whether virtually or in church like this, let's make it priority to be here. And let's contribute. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says that everything, all of us have different things to do, but let us bring it in so that fellowship can be orderly. In your place of business, number three, in your place of business and employment, be orderly. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be a person of integrity. Let people know that you keep time. Let people know that you keep time. I do a lot of interactions with people across the nation, and at times it involves driving. If I'm running late, the people know that I'm running late. They know where I'm coming from. They know the challenges of traffic. But I do everything I can to be there ahead of time. But part of what will keep respect, I've worked with some people like that for 15 years. And they're happy with it. Because they know that there is a way you can make things work when people can rely on you. So you keep order. You keep order in your prayer life, in your, in your timekeeping, and in everything you do in business. Finally, keep order in your financial life. Your financial life. We talked about prudence a couple of weeks back. Be a person that is prudent. Be a person that uses wisdom in managing. Let your resources, your tithing, your offering, your investments in life, your savings, your spending, your giving to others, every kind of giving, every kind of financial uh, apportioning, let it be done in order. Let it be done in order. Plan. Husband and wives, plan your resources. Again, I will say this. Very clearly, some of us come from backgrounds where we believe that it should only be the man who takes responsibility of the home. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that is no law. That is not biblical. The Bible says the wife should be the help meet, whatever that help is. If the help means, now, by the grace of God, my wife, she's downstairs. 
I've never ever, this is me now, I've never ever placed a demand on her that she has to do something for the family. But she does a lot. She does a lot, a lot. Of course, I do what I need to do. But she does a lot, but I've never placed a demand on her. Now, I'm only saying to you that whilst you may not need to place a demand, or a demand is not necessarily needed to be placed on you, you can order yourselves. Come together, husband and wife, and plan, and say, these are the things we need to do. I will be taking care of this. I'll take care of this. I'll take care of that. There's nothing wrong with it. Enjoy your lives together and be productive together. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40 says, Whatever it is, let all things, read it loud and clear, let all things be done decently and in order. Let all things be done decently and in order. So to conclude this, I just want to say order thrives on the law of sequence. In everything in life, we must let God always have his way. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that if you, first, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all other things will be added to you. In your family life, make God priority. In your finances, make God priority. In your marriage, make God priority. In your business, make God priority. In your vocational life, make God priority. In your studies, make God priority. Always commit everything to him. In his kingdom, the Bible says, when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all other things shall be added. I was saying to the workers yesterday, I said one of the assurances I have by the grace of God that we will get this building ultimately is because we are committed to souls. We are committed to seeking the kingdom of God to make sure that his kingdom is established here on this earth. So why will he not give us this building? Why would he prefer to give it to people who will turn it to a discotheque or people who will turn it into a mosque or a temple? Why would he? Why would he? But if we seek first his kingdom consistently, passionately, engaging with the things that concern him, whatever that thing is, he places order in everything else. Hallelujah. When God knows that your finances always get to him every time first, it becomes impossible for the devourer to touch your source. It becomes impossible for the devourer to touch the very things that God is using to bless you. When Elijah met that woman, we simply call her the widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17, the Bible says God directed Elijah to go and see this woman, a widow who was about to eat food with her only son and die. 1 Kings chapter 17, the Bible says in verse 13 that Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. This woman said, I have only a little flour left and I have some sticks. I just want to cook it, eat it and die. <laughs> Elijah said, make some for me first. Elijah is a type of God. Please get me right. I didn't call him God. Is a type of God there, demonstrating the fact that whatever you have, as long as you can find a place to let God have it, to give it to God by dedication, to give it to God by devotion, you allow yourself to also benefit from it. Look at what happened to her, verse 14. He said, for thus says the Lord, verse 14, thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bean of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. He said, because you have committed of these very seemingly little resources to me, the bean of flour shall not be used up. The woman's idea was that it was little, we will cook it and die. But now she took it in obedience to the servant of God 
to create an orderly flow of prospered food supplies. The Bible says, as she gave it, Elijah said, thus says the Lord God, it shall not dry up until the Lord sends rain on the earth. Just to lay emphasis on the fact that it is not the rain that will make it, but the commitment of God to those who commit to him. The commitment of, the, of God to those who commit to him in what he demands. Verse 15. So she went her way. Verse 15. So she went her way and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household, they did what? Ate for what? Did they eat and die? Did they eat and die? They ate for many days. Her plan was to eat that little thing and die. But as she gave it to the Lord's servant, the Bible says she ate for many days. Verse 16, the bean of flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he did what? Spoke by Elijah. I pray that the words I speak to you today will help you to see how you can place order, supernatural order on your life. Two things we have said here today is this. You intentionally engage with God to create order in different aspects of your life. However, learn to place God first in all you do. Learn to commit to God and the things of God. And in everything you do, as you commit to God, what happens is that God now starts to help you to see order in the things that come next to you. The Lord will continue to give you wisdom in the name of Jesus. Whatever God wants to do in your life, to cause there to be a ceaseless flow of his resources in, your, in the joy that is supplied to your marriage, in the, in, the, in the abundance that is supplied to you in your finances, to be able to have all sufficiency in all things and abound unto every good work. And in every aspect of your life, the Lord will keep doing it for you. In the name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet and just commit these words to God. Well,